Hey, podcast fans, it's Lainey from Crimes of Passion. Did you know I host another podcast? It's called True Crime Cases with Lainey, and it takes a deeper look at the life and crimes of some of the most evil minds in history. If you enjoy the in-depth research and storytelling of Crimes of Passion, you'll love True Crime Cases with Lainey. Hey, we may even have a special guest stop by from time to time. Follow True Crime Cases with Lainey wherever you get your podcasts. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of substance abuse and suicidal ideation. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Blanca de Sol sat at her dining room table and stared at the empty seat across from her. When she heard a car passing by outside, her ears perked up. She leaned forward, listening for the sound of squealing brakes and the familiar patter of her son's footsteps up the driveway. Nothing. She slumped back in her chair, head spinning from worry and anger. She expected Jack Jr. home an hour ago, but clearly her ex-husband had no intention of bringing him back on time. Jack Sr. had tormented her for years during their marriage. Now he was withholding their son as a means to hurt her. Like this was a game and their child was a pawn. He knew Jack Jr. was the only thing left she still cared about. Cruel didn't even begin to describe it. As the night approached, Blanca got up from the table. She walked into her room, opened a drawer, and tucked a 32 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver into the pocket of her sweater. She'd suffered long enough. Now, it was Jack's turn. I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This week, in a special one-part episode, we're diving into the complicated relationship between Jack DeSaul and his wife, Blanca Erasuris Vergara. Blanca was a Chilean heiress and Jack, a former football star, Together, they looked like a match made in heaven. But when Jack's greed upended their marriage, their future took a tragic turn. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. As the sun beat down on Chile's southern coast, an American named Jack Longer de Saul dabbed the sweat from his brow. It was February 5th, 1911, and the biggest horse racing event in the country was in full swing. Clásico El Derby. Jack didn't care much for the sport himself, and he wasn't there to gamble. He scanned the crowd, looking for a woman. He didn't know exactly what she looked like, but he was sure he'd recognize her instantly. Rumors about her beauty had spread across the continent. The young woman they called the Flower of the Andes. As Jack picked his way through the sea of Chilean nobles, he felt the atmosphere shift around him. The room fell quiet. Everyone turned toward the door. That's when Jack saw her. Blanca Rasuris Vergara, the loveliest young woman he'd ever seen. She had black hair, olive skin, and large brown eyes that anyone could get lost in. Though she was small and slender, her presence made her impossible to miss. Jack had to meet her. He approached her cautiously, introduced himself, and flashed a dazzling smile. In no time, he had her gasping, laughing, and blushing. Jack's easy disposition stood out amidst the formalities of Chile's high society. His casual charm seemed to work on Blanca. The next day, he received an invitation to visit her at her family's palatial estate. The pair talked for hours. The more Jack learned about Blanca, the more she intrigued him. He was struck by her beauty, intelligence, and self-assuredness. Jack explained he was in Chile on business, pitching a new railway line to wealthy investors. Expecting to be in the country for a few more months, he asked to see her again. Blanca wanted to. She found Jack funny, charming, and handsome. But before she could commit, she needed her mother's approval. According to a study published in Frontiers in Psychology, Mothers in Chilean culture have a deep connection to their role as guardian. Because of that, some feel threatened when their child begins making decisions for themselves. Separation anxiety can lead to controlling behavior in some mothers as they fight to maintain a close relationship. Whether this was the case for Blanca Sr., she was nevertheless used to holding the reins of her daughter's life. The stern matriarch of the Erasides Vergara dynasty was tough to please. Her husband, Guillermo Rasuris, had come from a wealthy family who earned their riches mining silver. She and Guillermo raised their five children in an enormous estate called the Palacio Vergara. Unfortunately, Guillermo died around Blanca's first birthday, leaving his wife to take care of their children 
and a multi-million dollar fortune. Jack knew about Blanca's family and her wealth. He expected to have to prove himself as a suitor interested in more than her inheritance and was up to the task. He regaled Blanca's mother with stories about his years as a football star back in the States at Yale University. After graduating, he teamed up with former senator turned real estate developer, William H. Reynolds. Thanks to their mutual friends in politics and business, the pair secured contracts to build hotels all over Long Island, which he claimed turned into a highly lucrative business venture. The story eased the family's worries, but Blanca's mother wasn't completely sold on Jack. Their age difference concerned her. Blanca was 16, Jack 32. At the time, it wasn't unusual for young women of Blanca's age to get married, but the gap would surely attract some unwanted attention. People would talk. Still, there was no denying that Blanca was smitten. Soon the pair became inseparable. They spent long days at the beach, sometimes on horseback, sometimes with the clear waters of the Pacific lapping at their feet. Within a few months, they both fell head over heels in love. Come August, six months after first meeting, Jack asked for Blanca's hand in marriage. Seeing how happy he made her daughter, Blanca's mother approved, under one condition. Since Jack was raised Episcopalian, the couple needed to get special dispensation from the Vatican to marry in the Catholic Church. Jack agreed, and so did the Pope. On December 14th, the couple officially tied the knot, and a few weeks later, the newlyweds boarded a ship to the United States so Blanca could finally meet her in-laws. Still basking in the glow of marital bliss, Blanca didn't receive the welcome she'd hoped for in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Jack's parents acted cold and condescending, making no effort to conceal their disapproval. They made it clear that they wanted their son to marry an American, not some Chilean girl half his age. Much to Blanca's relief, she and Jack didn't stay in Bethlehem long. They sailed back to Chile, and by the time they arrived... Blanca was glowing again, in love and pregnant. She couldn't wait for this next chapter. Her life was shaping up to be exactly what she'd always dreamed about. Little did she know, her doting husband wasn't the man she thought he was. Before returning to Blanca's hometown of Vina del Mar, the couple moved into a family home in Santiago. Jack wanted to establish himself in Chile's business community and get a lay of the land. But first, he needed to figure out how much his new wife was worth. According to Chilean law at the time, a woman's assets became her husband's property when she married. This meant everything Blanca owned now belonged to Jack. But after poring over her banking documents, Jack's face twisted in confusion. Blanca was supposed to be worth millions. The papers claimed her inheritance was only about $100,000. Filled with bitter rage, he confronted his new wife, waving the documents in her face. Blanca explained why her net worth appeared lower than it actually was. Before her father died, he placed her assets in a trust. 
she would gain access to those funds only when her mother passed away. Jack felt deceived by Blanca and her mother. Practically foaming at the mouth, he screamed that he'd made an offer on an estate in Chile, one that he now realized they couldn't afford. He'd have to back out of the deal now and look like a fool. Blanca stared at her husband, bewildered. The man standing before her felt like a stranger. She felt a sting in her gut, and for a second, wondered if she'd made a mistake in marrying him. But she shook her fears away, justifying his actions as those of a proud businessman who cared about being good to his word. Denial is a defense mechanism we use to avoid addressing difficult realities. It can be useful when we don't have the capacity to deal with stressful situations head on. But according to psychologist Dr. Barbara Ford Shabazz, living in a constant state of denial can lead to anxiety, depression, and further complications in our relationships. For Blanca, this temper tantrum was possibly the first time she'd seen Jack's anger. They'd just gotten married and she recently became pregnant. It's understandable why she could so easily dismiss his behavior. But then the threats came. Jack demanded Blanca ask her mother for money to cover the cost of the estate. If she didn't, Jack threatened to take her to America and sever ties with her family permanently. Blanca sent her mother a letter and her mother wrote back with a compromise. Rather than handing Jack money, she'd make him the owner of one of her many homes. That way he could use it as collateral to purchase the estate. Instead of feeling grateful, Jack grew more enraged. He believed Blanca's mother was lying to him so she could cut him out of the family's wealth. He went behind Blanca's back and sold $6,000 worth of her securities. He then used the money to buy tickets to Paris to confront his mother-in-law face to face. When they arrived, Blanca's mother only reiterated her same offer. Jack exploded, accusing her of manipulating the situation to keep Blanca dependent on the matriarch. He screamed in her face and called her a liar. Then he stormed away, slamming the door behind him. Blanca, who'd been listening from an adjoining room, followed him with tears streaming down her face. Days later, she and Jack set sail on a ship, bound for New York. Coming up, more money problems test the couple's marriage. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Blanca de Sol still loved her husband. She forgave him for the way he acted with her mother. After his accusation and volatile behavior, she hoped moving to New York would offer her marriage a fresh start. Jack rented a cottage in a small village called Larchmont, about 20 miles from Manhattan. There, he brainstormed what to do next. 
Despite the stories he'd spun in Chile, he wasn't a successful real estate mogul. At least, not in the way he made himself out to be. He'd spent his 20s restless and afraid to commit, hopping between jobs and frivolously spending money. With no prospects on the horizon, Jack needed a plan. He decided to try his hand at something new, politics. In time, he pulled some strings and secured a position on Woodrow Wilson's presidential campaign, recruiting college-aged voters. The work demanded a lot of his time, which meant Blanca spent a lot of time home alone. To ensure his pregnant wife's safety, Jack bought a 32 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver and told Blanca to keep it on her person at all times. The gesture hardly made up for her husband's absence, but Blanca didn't mind the sacrifice. She understood that the political connections her husband was making could pay off in the future. By the time elections rolled around in November, Jack helped Wilson win by assisting in the recruitment of over 70,000 voters. He gained a reputation in politics as a man who knew how to get things done. Even more exciting, Blanca was only a month away from her due date. The original plan was for her to give birth at their home in Larchmont, but in late November, Jack decided he wanted his child to be born in Bethlehem instead. Blanca protested, dreading the prospect of being stuck in a home with a family who treated her with disdain. But Jack was adamant. He sent her to Pennsylvania alone while he finished up some work in New York. Blanca spent the next month miserable. Jack joined her before the holidays and on Christmas day, Blanca gave birth to a healthy baby boy, Jack Jr. The best gift either of them had ever received. For a moment, Blanca hoped their relationship would right itself again. But after a few weeks, things were just as bad as ever. Jack Jr. was the sole bright spot in Blanca's life. Come May, Jack asked her to join him in Washington. She took the invitation as a positive sign. After neglecting her for so long, maybe her husband was ready to prioritize their marriage. Blanca arrived in Washington. She checked into the hotel with her husband, but as they unpacked their bags in their room, a piece of paper fell from Jack's suitcase. He tried to grab it before she noticed, but he was too slow. Blanca's stomach twisted violently. It was a photo of a well-known Broadway starlet. On the back, the actress had scribbled a note in ink to Jack with love. Blanca asked why Jack had the photo, and to her shock, he didn't try to explain it away. He didn't say anything at all. He just laughed in her face. Since moving to America, Blanca had heard rumors about her husband's penchant for women in theater. Apparently, his name around town used to be Broadway Jack. He had a reputation for dating dancers, singers, and actresses. She dismissed the stories as petty gossip at the time, but now the proof was staring her in the face. A few months after that night in the hotel, their relationship took another turn for the worse. Jack approached Blanca with a bold proposition. He asked her to sell a chunk of her South American property portfolio to help fund his business projects. Blanca was hesitant at first, but eventually she gave in. She believed in her husband's ambitions, even as he abused her trust. 
she signed over two checks amounting to $20,000 total. As soon as she forked over the money, Blanca was alone again. Now that he had what he wanted, it was clear Jack had no interest in spending time with her. The more she hoped he would change, the more disappointed she became. Desperate for companionship, she looked for friends around town. That's how she met a showgirl named Mae Murray. May could tell Blanca needed to let loose and have a little fun. So one night, she convinced her new friends to go to Shea Fisher, a popular nightclub. Blanca and May sat at a table, sipping champagne and gossiping. They watched, mesmerized, as a pair of dancers took to the floor and performed the tango. The woman's moves were entrancing, but it was the woman's partner who really caught Blanca's attention. His name was Rodolfo Guglielmi. He'd come to New York from Italy years earlier with dreams of becoming an actor. His career hadn't yet panned out how he hoped, but Rodolfo was devastatingly handsome. With his olive complexion and dark, seductive eyes, he found work dancing at high-end clubs in Manhattan. As he and his partner spun around the room, his gaze settled on Blanca. Turns out, May knew Rodolfo. They were friends. So when the performance ended, she called him to their table. He introduced himself to Blanca and asked her to dance. She said yes. And for the first time in a long time, Blanca felt alive, desired, and desirable. She went home happy. And though it was another man who lit the spark, she felt a renewed desire to work on her marriage. Meanwhile, Jack was unaware of his wife's night on the town. He was busy working on his newest business venture. With World War I ramping up, he predicted Europe would soon find itself in a horse shortage. So he hoped to secure contacts within European armies and become their supplier. If it worked, the plan had the potential to be extremely lucrative. When he wasn't working, Jack entertained Broadway stars at an apartment he bought with Blanca's money. He told her he'd only use the cash for business, but she wasn't fooled. Despite her efforts to improve their marriage, Blanca kept hearing stories about her husband's dalliances. The only time he seemed interested in her was when he needed money. Eventually, she reached the end of her rope. She confronted Jack, threatening to return to Chile for good, hoping he'd hear the urgency in her voice and change his ways. But that's not what happened. Jack called her bluff. He said if she really wanted a divorce, she could have it. Blanca was heartbroken. She'd never considered the idea. Deep down, she wanted the marriage to work. So she came up with a compromise. She and Jack Jr. would go to Chile for a few months. Some space might help their relationship in the long run. Jack agreed. In the fall of 1915, Blanca and her two-year-old son boarded a ship headed south. The future was uncertain, but she was still determined to do what was best for her family. Coming up, Blanca takes matters into her own hands. Now, back to the story. By the fall of 1915, Jack and Blanca de Sal's marriage was on the rocks. 
To give each other space, Blanca and their son traveled to Chile while Jack remained in New York. The separation gave Blanca some much-needed perspective. For the first time in years, she felt like she could actually breathe. She reunited with family and introduced them to Jack Jr. for the first time. Basking in Chile's summer sun, she dreamed of moving back home and starting fresh. She was still young, only 21. She could easily rebuild a new life for herself and her son. But in January 1916, Blanca received a letter in the mail from her husband, begging her to come home. She felt conflicted. She wanted to believe that he missed her, that he could change, but she'd been burned many times before. How could she believe him now? In the end, she decided to give it one last shot. If they were going to make their marriage work, it was now or never. Blanca arrived back in New York sometime in April, filled with hope. But that hope evaporated before she even left the dock. Jack arrived to pick her and Jack Jr. up drunk. And she quickly realized heartache was all that was in store. Blanca retreated to a rented apartment in the city while Jack stayed at his brother's home three blocks away. She learned that Jack was seeing another woman named Joan Sawyer. Jack Jr. had mindlessly mentioned Miss Joe after spending the day with his father and Joan at the zoo. Blanca confronted Jack about the affair. He denied it, but it didn't matter. Blanca had no interest in what he had to say. After months of waffling, she'd made up her mind. She wanted a divorce. The only problem was, without proof of Jack's cheating, it would be difficult to find a judge to grant her one. Luckily, Blanca knew exactly how to get the evidence she needed. Her husband's girlfriend, Joan, was a popular dancer, and her partner just so happened to be a young, handsome Italian man, Rodolfo Guglielmi. The dancer Blanca met that night at Shea Fisher. Blanca knew the effect she had on Rodolfo. He'd fallen for her during their first meeting and they'd stayed in contact since. When she returned from Chile, they met at bars and clubs where he danced. In a strange twist of fate, Rodolfo had also met Jack before. He'd attended parties where Jack had brought Joan as a date. So when Blanca asked him if he'd testify in court about her husband's adultery, he agreed. Afterwards, Blanca retained legal counsel, quietly packed her belongings, and rented a home under her own name. On July 27th, with Blanca safely in hiding, her attorneys filed for divorce. At the proceedings, Rodolfo and a few other witnesses described Jack's intimate relationship with Joan Sawyer. With so much evidence to contend with, the judge had no choice but to grant the divorce. But there was still the question of Jack Jr. That was a much more complicated decision. Ultimately, the judge ruled that Blanca would have custody of their son for seven months of the year. Jack would get him for five. This would continue until Jack Jr. turned eight. Then, Jack would be in complete control of his son's education. The judge also added a stipulation. Neither of them could take Jack Jr. out of the country until after the war ended. The decision crushed Blanca. In most cases, if a partner cheated, they'd lose custody of the child. In the Dassault divorce, though, 
Blanca got the short end of the stick. It's unclear why the judge ruled this way, but Blanca suspected it was because she was a foreigner. Her lawyers agreed the ruling wasn't fair, but they urged her to accept the terms and move on. By the end of 1916, Jack and Blanca officially split, but their fights continued. As often happens in divorces, Blanca and Jack weaponized their son to hurt the other person, likely at the expense of their son's health and happiness. According to one study on the impact of high-conflict divorces, nearly 50% of kids who are subject to hostile custody battles were found to have an increased risk of developing PTSD. They're also more likely to develop communication problems and to have issues relating to their peers. Jack Jr. was in the center of a heated dispute that showed no signs of letting up. Every month, his parents alternated custody, but by the end of June 1917, the lines drawn by courts blurred a little. Blanca was having renovations done on her home. Jack, who was supposed to drop off their son on July 1st, offered to keep him for a few extra days until the work finished. After some back and forth, they both agreed. Jack Sr. would keep the boy until July 6th, and Blanca would have him again until August 6th. It seemed settled. When Blanca woke up on August 3rd, it seemed like an ordinary day. Jack Jr. would stay with her for three more days, but that morning she got a call from her ex-husband. According to Jack, his father and sister were in town. They wanted to see Jack Jr. He asked if Jack Jr. could spend some time at his house that afternoon. Blanca agreed, but asked Jack to have him back for dinner. Jack assured her he could make that happen. At 3 p.m., Jack's car pulled up in front of Blanca's house. Jack Jr. hopped inside and it drove away. Blanca watched them back out of the driveway and felt inexplicably anxious. But she set the feeling aside and told her butler to have dinner prepared by 7 p.m. As the evening approached, Blanca went to the front of the house and waited for her son to arrive. The hour came and went without any sign of him. Eventually, she headed inside. She sat at the table set for two and listened for the sound of a car approaching. With every passing second, her anger rose. By the time the clock struck seven, she was furious. She called Jack's phone. His valet answered and told Blanca that Jack wasn't home. As for Jack Jr., he'd apparently been put to bed already. Mystified, Blanca told the valet that she was coming to pick him up. She hung up the phone and called a taxi. Before it arrived, she went to her bedroom, opened a drawer, and pulled out her revolver. She tucked it into the pocket of her sweater and headed down the stairs. Around 8 p.m., Blanca was on her way. As the taxi sped down the road, she reflected on her marriage. Once again, Jack had fooled her. She'd done him a favor by allowing him extra time with their son, and this was how he repaid her? A few minutes later, the taxi arrived in front of Jack's house. She spotted his car parked in the driveway. He was home after all. She'd been lied to and had come to find out in more ways than one. Inside her ex-husband's home, her son was still awake. Jack's sister Caroline was holding his hand and climbing a set of stairs. Blanca asked Caroline where Jack was and she pointed to the living room. As Blanca approached, she heard her ex's 
loud, bellowing laugh. The noise grated on her nerves. She opened the door and found Jack, his father Arthur, and his friend Marshall Ward sitting inside. Everything fell silent as Blanca walked in. She marched up to Jack, ignoring the smirk on his face, and told him she wanted their son back. But Jack shook his head. No, she couldn't have him. He turned to face the window, repeating the word no over and over again. She watched him feeling a disturbing sense of calm. He'd left her with no other choice. She pulled the revolver from her sweater pocket, lifted it, and emptied the gun. Five shots. Jack fell back into his chair, blood running from his wounds. For a second, the world felt frozen in time. Then suddenly, everyone sprang into action. Jack's valet raced inside and dragged Jack onto the couch. He looked at Blanca, bewildered. But she just shrugged. It had to be done. She walked outside and sat in the garden until the police arrived. As chaos erupted around her, her mind went quiet. She felt nothing. She thought nothing. She sat in the grass, listening to the sounds of birds mingling with the cries from inside the house. As an ambulance arrived to take Jack to the hospital, Blanca climbed into the backseat of a patrol car without protest. Jack died there later that evening. Officials placed Blanca in holding at the Mineola Jail, and she remained there until her trial. Her case went to court in November, three months after Jack's death. Lawyers charged her with first-degree murder. She pleaded not guilty with her defense, arguing she was temporarily insane. There was no doubt Blanca killed Jack. Several witnesses watched her pull the trigger. The prosecution argued the murder was premeditated. Blanca went to Jack's house with a gun tucked in her sweater, suggesting she had the intention of killing him. They also noted that Jack, on paper, had custody of his son that day, even if he and his wife had made other verbal agreements. Regardless of who broke what promise, not getting what you want hardly justifies murder. The defense, on the other hand, laid out a case that painted Blanca's actions as entirely out of her control. Doctors testified that at the time of the murder, a combination of physical ailments, including sunstroke and a skull fracture, caused her to black out before killing her ex. Here was a woman who'd given up everything for her husband, her homeland, her family, and her fortune. And Jack repaid her by taking advantage of her at every turn, cheating on her, plundering her inheritance, breaking his promises. The jury deliberated, and after about an hour and a half, reached their decision. They found Blanca Erasuris Vergara not guilty. When she stepped outside, a light rain fell on the crowds around her, filled with people wishing her well. Blanca lifted her face to the sky and let the droplets trickle down her skin. She was free. The next day, she reunited with her son, they eventually moved back to Chile. Years later, she and Jack Jr. became estranged. 
Blanca stepped away from the spotlight and became a recluse in her hometown of Vina del Mar. She died by suicide at the age of 45. Since then, Blanca's case has been championed by women's rights movements who saw her as a symbol of strength and resilience. Unfortunately, many women see themselves in her tragic story, though most don't go on to kill their husbands. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back next time with a new episode. For more information on Blanca Rasuris Vergara, we found the Valentino Affair, the Jazz Age murder scandal that shocked New York society and gripped the world, by Colin Evans, extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time, when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and Trent Williamson as our senior production specialist. Allie Wicker is our supervising editor and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Sarah Hussein, edited by Tara Wells and Connor Sampson, fact-checked by Katherine Barner, researched by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood, produced by Freddie Beckley, and sound designed by Scott Stronick. I'm your host, Lainey Hobbs. Hey, Parcast fans, it's Lainey from Crimes of Passion. Can't get enough true crime? Check out my podcast, True Crime Cases with Lainey. I'm diving deep into the stories you've never heard and deeper into those you may be familiar with. I hope you'll join me. Follow True Crime Cases with Lainey wherever you get your podcasts.